The One Hundred Years' War, the de Guiscalin period, John of Gaunt declares for the King of Castile. And when John of Gaunt left La Rochelle for England in October of 1371, his first objective was to persuade his father's government to give a higher priority to the defense of Aquitaine. Gaunt no doubt genuinely believed in this, but he was also well aware of the value of Aquitaine as a base from which to invade Castile. He was dismayed to discover when he reached England that the main preoccupation of Edward III and his ministers was not Aquitaine, still less Castile, but Brittany. Forced by the, oper the operations of Clisson and Du Guesclin to make the choice which he had been avoiding since 1369, John de Montfort finally resolved to appeal to the English. During the autumn of 1371, he retreated to the security of the great castle overlooking the harbor of Vannes the old headquarters of the English lieutenants of the Civil War period. From there he sent two emissaries to England to plead his cause with Edward III. His treasurer, Thomas Melbourne, and the admiral of Brittany, John Fitznicol, his selection of two members of the small surviving caucus of Englishmen on his council speaks volumes about his plight. They arrived in England in October of 1371, about a month before John of Gaunt. The English king's counselors were keen to intervene in Brittany, but they were also determined to exploit de Montfort's political weakness. Edward III's terms were put to Melbourne and Fitznicol by his council at the beginning of November 1371. The English king was willing, they said, to send troops to the duke's assistance in the following year. When the garrison of Becherel had been rescued from Olivier de Clisson, the place would be delivered up to John de Montfort, thus removing a major bone of contention between the duke and his subjects. But in return, he would be required to do liege homage for his duchy to Edward III as king of France and to support his war with Charles V. In addition, he was to surrender 12 major fortresses in the duchy to Edward III's officers for the duration of the war, including the three main harbors of western Brittany at Brest, Morlax, and Anbont. They were to be occupied immediately by the garrison evacuated from Boucherel. Edward appointed two ambassadors to carry these terms to Brittany and obtain the Duke's agreement. One of them, Robert Neville, was the younger brother of the prominent northern baron John Neville, Lord of Rob close friend of Latimer's and a rising figure at court. He knew the Duke well, having briefly served as the, as the Marshal of Brittany some years before. His colleague, Ralph Berry, was a chamber squire and a veteran of many clandestine missions to Charles of Navarre, one of those reliable servants of the king who so often acted as the exigents of the secret diplomacy. On November the 6, 1371, John of Gaunt disembarked at the Cornish Harbor in Foy. With him came two princesses of Castile, some prominent Gascon and Potvin noblemen, and several of the leading English captains who had served with him in Gascony, including Sir Hugh Caverley and the English lieutenant in limousine, Sir John Devereux. Gaunt was accompanied by a small group of Castilian exiles. They included two men who were to be prominent among the makers and executes of Gaunt's great project, the indispensable Dean of Segovia, Juan Gutierrez, and a charming and colorful adventurer from Galicia called Juan Fernando Aldero. Aldero was exceptionally good at ingratiating himself with men of power in every country where he lived. He had served King Pedro until his death and fled to Portugal, where he had rapidly become a personage of some influence. Soon became equally intimate with John of Gaunt. His presence in the Duke's inner circle signaled a new interest in what Portugal could contribute to the Duke's ambitions. The Duke of Lancaster reached London about a week after Neville and Barry had left Brittany. 
He had a difficult meeting with the king on November the 25th, 1371. Marshal of Aquitaine, Gouchard d'Aguel, and, Gu- and Guéron Tartas, Lord of Poitiers, one of the few significant lords of the lands still loyal to the prince, were also present. The main purpose of this meeting was to impress upon Edward the urgent need to fund the defense of Aquitaine before it was lost. There was no possibility of the necessary funds being found in the principality. They would have to come from England. The Gascons present also wanted a prominent leader and the king's confidence to be in charge of their defense. If not one of his sons, then the Earl of Pembroke, who was known to be close to Edward III and had made a favorable impression during the two years in which he had passed in the principality. Gaunt believed that if the duchy was properly defended in the coming year, there was a chance of bringing back into the English allegiance some of those who had deserted since 1368. Even the Lord of Albert, who had recently become discontented by the Duke of Anjou's growing rapprochement with his ancient enemy, the Count of Foix, might be drawn back to the fold. There's a rather cryptic report of the discussion in a letter which Edward III wrote to Albert a few days after which suggests that Gaunt had already made overtures to him. But it was obvious that everything depended on a dramatic improvement in England's military fortunes. It is probable that Gaunt raised with his father on the same occasion his other great project of invading Castile and deposing Henry of Testamara. All that is known is that Edward III would not be rushed into a decision. These were, he said, difficult matters. An enlarged meeting of the council attended by the leading bishops and nobles would be summoned to Westminster to consider them. The Great Council was a traditional forum in which the major decisions in the conduct of the war were made. It met at Westminster on January the 13th, 1372, and remained in session for about two weeks, one of the longest meetings of its kind that had ever been held. The proceedings are not recorded. The main outlines have to be inferred from the orders which were issued after it closed. The main military operations of the coming year were to be in Brittany. A great fleet was to be requisitioned in every port of England and directed to four assembly points in the Solent to embark troops at the beginning of May. An army of about 6,000 men was planned, which the king intended to command in person. Initially, two of his sons, Prince of Wales and the Earl of Cambridge, were expected to accompany him. The Earl of Pembroke was appointed as the lieutenant of the king and the prince and ordered to return to Aquitaine as soon as possible. Pembroke proposed the sale to La Rochelle with no more than a small personal retinue but with enough coin and bullion to recruit an army of 3,000 men locally. Once he had secured the defense of Aquitaine, he would head north and cross the Loire and join forces with the king. Strategy was very similar to that of 1356, in which the prince and Henry of Lancaster had tried to mount simultaneous campaigns in Brittany and Gascony and to join their armies near the Loire. The king went to great lengths to keep these decisions secret. Gouchard d'Aguel and Girard de Tartres, also at present at the council, were sworn to secrecy and authorized to disclose the king's plans to no one but the prince's principal officers in the duchy. The great council made one other decision of great moment. It was by the Common Council of England that on January the 29th, 1372, John of Gaunt publicly declared himself to be king of Castile and Leon in the right of his wife and quartered his arms with those of the Spanish kingdom. It is not clear what, if any, decision were made about how that claim was to be made good, but it is widely believed, both in France and in Spain, that Gaunt intended to invade Castile later in the year. There is a good deal of evidence that he did. His plan seems to have been to recruit his own army, about 1,200 men, to embark at Plymouth in the summer and land in Gascony. 
he proposed to take with him that experienced warrior William Montague, Earl of Salisbury, and Sir Hugh Caverly, a veteran of the Hispanic affairs who had fought on both sides of the Castilian Civil Wars of the 1360s, they expected to be able to recruit additional forces in Gascony and to invade Castile across the Navarrese passes. The King of Navarre, whose cooperation in the scheme was essential, was then on his way back to his kingdom from Normandy and expected to pass through Barcelona. Agents were dispatched to Catalonia to meet him there. John of Gaunt had ambitious plans for fomenting simultaneous invasions of Castile from the east and west as he entered the kingdom from the north. His representatives in Aragon were instructed to try and interest the Aragonese king, Peter IV, in this scheme. But the western wing of his strategy, which depended on the goodwill of Portugal, had made more promise. Portugal, like Aragon, was accessible by sea from England or Gascony. John of Gaunt had already received an indirect indication of support from Don Fernando, who had secretly written to his old friend Juan Fernandez Andero in England, suggesting some form of joint military action against Castile. The Great Council was persuaded to approve the dispatch of a small force of men-at-arms to Portugal to encourage Don Fernando's aggressive instincts. Gaunt appointed ambassadors to leave for Portugal as soon as possible. The leader of the embassy was none other than Andreo himself. So, the sources for this, the 100 Years' War by Poissart, his chronicles, The One Hundred Years' War by Perrois, The One Hundred Years' War by Nylans, and The One Hundred Years' War, Volume 3, House Divided by Sumption. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.